Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Galen and this is the Just For Show show. It's the podcast where we share our love of local theater with the people who make it happen. Isn't that right, Heidi? That's absolutely right, Galen. We are here. We're in full effect. And I'm Ben. <laughs> and I'm Ben. No, Ben No has... Ben this week. No. He had a tragic paperclip accident and we wish him well. <laughs> Send your cards and letters to just for show podcast at email.com. Uh, no, Ben is fine. Ben's All rumors fine. to the contrary should be Relax. squashed immediately. All the Ben fans are freaking out right now, but don't worry. You will get plenty of Ben later on in the interview um, because Galen and Ben took care of the interview this week. Yes. Ben is, uh, Ben's in rehearsals. Yeah. We haven't been able to say that a lot since we started the, the, uh, the podcast. So-and-so is in rehearsals. Yeah. Well, if anyone who listens regularly noticed, um, we've had a little hiatus here, semi, semi-unplanned, um, because I was in rehearsals for back-to-back shows, and then Ben had to go get cast in a show. So we've just had a heck of a time getting our schedules together now that the world opened back up. Yeah. Theater people doing theater. I know, right? What the hell is that Such about? An, so an inconvenient. For a podcast. I'm a little miffed, actually. I think you guys should uh, quit theater mm-hmm. and do the podcast full time. That's reasonable. I um, mean, the pay is the same. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Right. I don't know what and the problem I, is. I, you're absolutely right. We need to get our priorities straight. You know what? As soon as we're done with this, I'm going to call Ben. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Yes. I want the two of you to conference and work on that. (laughs) You got it, boss. Better attitude by next, (laughs) by next episode. (laughs) No, we do have a good show uh, ahead though. Um, I'm I'm very happy to be back in front of the microphone and uh, recording with my friend Heidi uh, to talk a little bit about theater, people who do theater. Um, We have, um, interview later with uh, Stephen Pickering, which will be great, uh, oh, and yeah. the usual shenanigans. So yeah, with that, let's uh, get moving. Let's get on with the show. Hey, Heidi, thanks for coming to the theater early. I uh, want to run some ideas past you about the cast gift. Oh, yeah? Cool. I have some ideas too. Well, great. Yeah, Ben has been such a fantastic director. He deserves a special gift to thank him for all his hard work. Definitely. Ben rocks. He does. And we have a couple of weeks before the closing party. So if we put our heads together now, uh, we should be able to come up with something really good. Or something great. I like the way you think. Great. So one idea I had was to frame a picture of the cast. A cruise. I'm sorry, what? We give Ben a cruise to the Bahamas or Mexico or Alaska. Oh, he would love it. I'm sure he would, but don't you think it's a bit excessive? I thought you said we should give Ben something great. Yeah. Yeah, you said he was a fantastic director and he deserves a great gift. Well, true. How is a cruise not a great gift? It is a great gift. If we had like a cast of 100 people to share the budget, but... There's only eight of us. Oh, okay. That's fine, I guess. Um, so what was your idea? Well, they have these great picture frames where you can get- A car. What? We should get Ben a car. 
he's always saying how his car isn't reliable. Oh my God, he would love a new car. Oh, please, please, Galen, can we get him a car? Just a little one, a hatchback. I bet we could get a good deal on a used what, one. Heidi, what color is the sky in your world? Today, uh, blue-ish gray. Wait, what time is it? Is it sunset yet? Because that changes Look, everything. We can't get Ben a car. Like, a car costs more than a cruise. Oh, oh, okay. So we're back to the cruise then. I'm good with that. That, that was my first choice anyway. No, no, no car, no cruise. Look, we're going to get a picture frame of our cast with one of those picture frames that you can write on with sparkly paint pens. And then we'll sign all of our names in sparkly paint. And then we'll sign a card. And that's the cast gift. Picture frame? Yes. And a card? Yes. Oh, okay. I guess I guess that would be okay. Great. Oh, hey, Galen? Yes. Can we maybe put a gift card inside the card? A gift card? Yeah. It, you know how Ben loves his fancy tea from that little tea shop? Oh, that's actually a great idea. Oh, really? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. It's thoughtful. All right, a frame, a card, and a tea gift card. For $1,000. Oh, man. Ben is going to be so surprised. <clears throat> hey, Heidi. Yeah? Why don't you run outside? See if it's sunset yet. Oh, okay. So, Heidi, I was wondering if you uh, would entertain uh, the idea of talking a little bit about uh, something that's familiar to all of us in acting. Um, actually, in acting, in directing, in the wider world of theater, uh, we all have been touched with rejection. In one way oh. or another. Do you have some personal experience with, I know that you've never not oh. gotten any part that you right. tried out for, but if you could pretend, right. yes, you know, yes, imagine yes. what it would be like. Let me just imagine. Um, well, first of all, I'm very offended that you would want to talk about this on our very positive podcast. <laughs> you're bringing up this dark and sordid topic. <laughs> I'm, but... I'm a negative note. <laughs> But um, everyone knows that about me. It's true. It's true. You are you are the the rain on our parade. <laughs> um, <laughs> but into everyone's life, a little Galen must fall. <laughs> but um, no, I I think it's absolutely a, a fair and important topic to address because it's just it's just a part of our reality. I think anybody who does. Any it kind is. of art has to, yeah. to be familiar with. Yeah, it, it's unavoidable. Um, Anybody who tells yeah. you they, they haven't faced some rejection uh, is either just starting out and very lucky or uh, <laughs> or they're pulling your leg because it's it's just part of the, the whole process. It is. And and man, sometimes it, it really hurts. Some, sometimes it hurts, you know, some of them hurt more than others, depending yeah. on, um, you know, in the case of like an audition, for example, you know, that's one type of rejection that you might face is mm. a role you really wanted or even just getting cast in anything to be part of a particular production or work with a particular group or person or whatever the case mm. might be. And mm. if, um, you know, if they decide you're not the choice, then you have to kind of process that. And, and sometimes it's 
it's easier than other times. Um, I, I've certainly been rejected from from auditions before. They're you know not it sounds saying I've been rejected from auditions means that they're like get out, but you know just maybe not not that exactly. <laughs> not but not by um, a bouncer, <laughs> right, right. But you know, given the chance to offer to the opportunity to audition, but not offered a role, yeah. um, and and uh, sometimes you you find out you know that sometimes they they notify you like thanks for coming. Yeah. You know, we appreciate it, but we're going in a different direction. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't hear it all. You're just like waiting for the phone call that never comes. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is, that is hard. I've had one show that I tried out for and normally directors are pretty careful about, you know, when they do cast somebody, they're like, okay, but wait to tell everybody until this or that or the other thing. Cause they want to, they want to let people know that didn't get it, that they didn't get it, or they want to wait until the full thing is cast before people talk about it, which makes yeah. sense. Um, and I was in a show, or I was not in a show <laughs> once that um, I auditioned for. And um, yeah, they were like really slow about getting back to people who weren't cast. And so oh. my friends were already like announcing, oh, I'm in the show and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey. <sighs> Okay. That I must mean I am not. <laughs> I guess Dang I it. know what I'm waiting for then. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. I Over the years, I, I started doing this pretty early and I don't know where, I don't think anybody gave me the, this idea, but it was just something I wanted to do. If, um, if I wasn't cast, I would try to make a point to go and see the show. And I, I still do this pretty often where I'm like, I still want to go see it because first of all, if I auditioned for it, odds are good. The script was intriguing, intriguing to me. Um, yeah. If it was a theater company that I respected or was interested enough to learn more and give right. it a go. Um, yeah. Very so, few people probably auditioned for shows they would hate to watch. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, um, but I think, you know, I also, there's that curiosity of like, okay, if not me, then who did they go with? And what did that person bring? Mm. And I tell you nine out of 10 times or more, I, I walk away going, I get it. Like that person was great in that role. And if that was what the director was going for, I probably wouldn't have brought that thing, like whatever that quality was, you know, because we're all so yeah. unique. Well, that's a so, very grown up attitude that you have there. You know, I, like I said, I remember doing this in my early twenties, and and um, and and probably if I'm, this is where your your memory makes you seem like a nicer person than you are. Probably in my early twenties, it would have been like, well, let me go see what was so great about her, and then I, but then I had to go, oh yeah, she was great. You know, it's just that humbling, like, oh, I get it, okay, and so then it just kind of um, has often become a part of my. Thing where I'm like, yeah, I still, I still like this script. I want to see what they did with it. I, I want to see, you know, what choices were made. Um, yeah. Even though I couldn't be a part of it from the inside, I still want to experience yeah. it. And, um, and I usually, it's, it's very, very rare that I'm like, huh, well, okay. I mean, I, I would have done that differently, but you know, right. usually I walk away going, no, oh, that was really cool. Like, I, no wonder I wanted to be a part of that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah see where that would be helpful for the next show that you know maybe you don't make it into and you don't immediately jump to the conclusion of 
oh, yeah. well, whoever they get's going to be awful. Right, right. Well, and you know, if um, if you've ever been on the other side of it, I haven't done a ton of directing, but I've I've directed um, some children's theater and some adult theater as well. Um, yeah. However miserable an actor is at an audition, <laughs> um, a director has a, a level of being pretty miserable too, of like, wow, yeah. I have to make a choice and this isn't going to be easy. If you have a, a lot of great talent show up and you're trying to, to whittle it down and, you yeah. know, distill it down to what you think will be the, the best cast, the best combination of people. And, um, and then you're still taking a risk because you're, you're thinking, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to base it off of this little audition, but now I have to hope that they have the work ethic, that everybody gets along, that, yeah, you know. Yeah, it would be nerve I haven't actually done that, and it would be nerve-wracking for me for those two reasons. Yeah. One, am I, am I making the right choice in the first place? And then two, like you have to say no to so many people. And I'm like, yes, people cross paths a lot. I don't want to make people mm-hmm. mad at me. You know, right. Unne- especially yeah. not unnecessarily. So it's like, I'm going to do my best to be very professional and, and kind about all of this because yeah, if you're, if you're lazy or uncaring or, or rude to your actors who are mm-hmm. auditioning for you, it's not like the last time you're ever going to work or see that person. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially, you know, if you work locally, unless you're like flying all over the continent or the world, um, you know, then it's (laughs) your reputation follows you and you don't want to be the one that's like, wow, not only did Galen reject me, but he was like really a jerk about it. (laughs) Cruel at the audition. And, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not just, you know, you can treat these people like dirt because you're never going to see them again type of thing. So I have a question for you. You mentioned, you know, kind of the scenario of um, your friend, was notified like, Hey, I got cast and you were still waiting and going, okay, I guess that means I didn't. I've been in that, I've been in that position too, where I start, you know, texts are flying around. People are celebrating. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Did my, is my phone working? Oh yeah, I guess it is. I got the text, but, um, but so my question is though, um, and I've got a follow up for this because of a personal experience that I had kind of a, a lesson learned. Um, but have you, been in a position where you've gotten um, a kind uh, rejection notification, like something personal, where someone's like, "Hey, Galen, I just wanted to really thank you. That was great. We couldn't u- use you this time, you know, that kind of thing." Have you ever received anything like that? Um, I I, I don't know how personal, uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> Did they no, know definitely. your middle name. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, listen, I know that you wore your favorite shoes that night, but. <laughs> Like, okay, stop stalking me. This is a little personal. Yeah, yeah no. But uh, no, I've gotten, uh, you know, definitely the, the better directors out there have said, you know, this is, you did, you did a great job. We had a lot of people to pick from. And, and yeah, very, very nice about it and not, um, not at all short and, you know, better yeah, like next time kid and hang up, you know. It, they've, they've been very, <laughs> very nice about uh about uh, delivering the bad news. Yeah. Yeah. And how, I mean, how did you feel about it? Were you like still super bummed or did it take the the edge off a little bit for you to get a, a, a kind rejection? Um, 
it does kind of dissipate the the bad feelings. It's more personal. It's more humanizing. And it, it if if someone doesn't take the time to reach out to you directly, then it's much easier to like vilify them in your mind and be like, oh, oh well, yeah, okay. I'm going to assume this bad thing about this person because they didn't give me the result I wanted. And when they reach out to you, it's just like, oh, well, yeah, you're a person. Okay. You had yeah. to make a choice. You got, yeah, I get it. I, so I, I've been there too. And I had a, I, that's how I felt about it as well. It kind of mm. numbed the sting a little bit. And I mm. think, um, but not everybody does that. Not, not everybody reaches out mm. personally. I've had, I mean, I think there's, I've seen like a form email that's very like, thank you, blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. I've in the, in the, there was even one theater that used to, I don't know if they do this anymore, so I won't say who it is, but um, they would send a, a letter by mail, um, a rejection letter. And in the letter, they would include tickets to a show um, wow. as kind okay. of like a good faith, like come back, see a show, maybe come back audition again. Interesting. Um, yeah. It was kind of an interesting thing that they did. Yeah. Um, but, but, but then I got my first like personalized email at one point, I think this was years ago, but it was, um, in case he's listening, it was Craig Gustafson mm -hmm. and I had auditioned for a show and, um, and he sent me an email, you know, but it was very, very kind and pointed out some things about my audition that he really liked and explained why he went another direction and that it was nothing personal and he'd love to see me at another audition again. And I, I remember reading that and thinking, wow, you know, I know he had a lot of people turn out he didn't have to take the time to do that. That was really nice. And I, I walked away feeling a little bit, um, you know, my head held high, like, okay, yeah. I did it. You know, I did a good enough job that I got this nice email from this, this man. Mm -hmm. And um, so I kind of carried that with me. And then at one point, <laughs> a few years later, when I directed something, and this was a long time ago, um, this was one of the first shows that I directed with, all adults. It wasn't the first, but it was one of the first. Okay. And I remember thinking like, you know what, if after the callbacks, especially um, if I had, you know, people that were, that I was considering like right down to the final number, I'm going to send them one of those personal emails and thank them for their time and tell them how great right. they are. Right. That's my, yeah. That was my big idea. Um, yeah. Well, in, in preparation for recording, I pulled up why why do uh, I get the feeling this blew up in your face? <laughs> oh my god, it was it was such a lesson learned of like, oh boy, no no good deed goes unpunished. Um oh no. so I I will not I will not mention names or dates or the show or anything. I'm not trying to call yeah. anybody out, but it's just yeah. I did save the email because um this was such a long time ago, but I I kept it because it, it truly was like a for a while, I would, I would read it and I'd reread it. I'm like, where did I go wrong? And then I just kept it as kind of like a funny keepsake of, what, you know, sometimes so what is, we try. What is this email? This was a, a response to the rejection email? This was a response that I got to the rejection email. Yes. Oh, wow. So, so I sent an email um, that said, I wanted to send you a quick note to thank you personally for auditioning. It was a lot of fun. And I know I asked a lot from you. Um, you were seriously considered for a role and it was not an easy decision at all, but I ultimately cast someone else. 
That said, I'd be sorely mistaken not to tell you what an incredible job you did. This particular scene was hilarious and original and left a lasting impression of what a dedicated actor you are. I sincerely hope that I'll see you again. There are many great shows coming up in our season that I think you'd be fabulous for. Please don't be a stranger. I mean, I'm like trying really hard. You can see this was like how a, offensive this letter is, Heidi. Know, right? How dare you encourage I know. me? It's probably um, how I, I ended it with kind regards. That's probably what really made them angry. Uh, but um knife in the back. So I got this back. Heidi, thank you. But I will not be auditioning again. Is there any constructive feedback? I'd like to bring it back to my acting coach. Thank you, person. <laughs> so I probably should have just left it alone, oh, but I yeah. didn't. I, Heidi, Heidi, I you know. should have just left that alone. I should have left it alone. <laughs> you didn't leave it alone, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like... Oh, I was so wounded, you know, my, my younger, this is again, a long time ago self. And just, I'm a sensitive type. We know this, but, um, yeah, that is an unbelievably dickish thing to send back to somebody. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, so, so I wrote back because I thought, I really don't want this person to hate me or not come back to the theater because of me and my personal email. So I'm going to write another personal email and make it worse. And I did. Um, so I said, you know, please understand my decision was not an easy one. I narrowed it down to you and one other person for the character. Um, I, um, let's see, I have to omit some things redacted because I don't want to give anything away, but mm. basically, you know, based on pairings, I, I had to go with the other person. Um, it just, you know, like a chemistry thing. As for feedback, I will say um, that on the first night, uh, the character wasn't coming across as endearing. But last night, I gave that note and you took the direction, softened the character, and it was great. It was still a very close call. But in the end, I felt the other person was a slightly better fit for this particular show. I don't Um, know why. I don't know what deficiency this person has that they cannot read from the first email and the second email. Let it go. Just let it go. No. Saying nice things. Let Mm -hmm. it go. Mm -hmm. But they apparently do not let things go. They don't. Um, So I got this back. Heidi, I appreciate the thought. I just want to point out that the the two of them are pen pals to this day, listeners. (laughs) yeah um no no hopefully this is the last letter but what, the, what did yes, it come back I, with it came back with heidi i appreciate the thought unfortunately hearing how close you came and that you were good but not good enough only makes the initial extreme heartache even worse <laughs> this is a best kid. of luck with the show <laughs> thank you actor Lord and Lordy. that's what i got and i just was like Oh, yeah, no. I, I, yeah, I already have a picture in my head. This is a kid who was oh. like the most dramatic kid in her friend group. And that <laughs> is like, oh, well, you have to go into acting because <laughs> no, overreacting in your friends is different from acting on stage. Well, it was definitely a, um, a oh, big man. moment for me as far as rejection goes of thinking like, I rejected somebody and it caused them extreme heartache. Oh and man, oh man. So if people are like, Heidi, why don't you direct more? 
Well, <laughs> here's the thing. Because I happened to get the most emo actor <laughs> in the world who had extreme heartache. Extreme heartache. Um, and oh so I God. really, yeah. So, so I Although, guess. Although it does sound like fun now. I, I'm going to audition for something I'm never going to get just so I can send emails like that back. <laughs> to see how over the top I can be. How very dare you not cast me. I'm so crushed. Yeah. So I guess, you know, just thinking like something like a nice personalized email. And I really, I tried to pattern mine after the one that was sent to me that made me feel good. That was great. I mean, I I couldn't write a better email than that. You got like, you you got the luck of the draw just got the one crazy person who blew up in your face there. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how you got that lucky, but you got a story to tell now. (laughs) Or it's just a reminder that everybody takes rejection differently. And maybe, you know, maybe 10 days later, she sat back and went, oh, my God, I shouldn't have sent that email. That was an of the moment thing or, you know, maybe not. Well, I do hope that if she went on to continue to do live theater things, that she eventually gets into directing so that she at least has the experience Mm. of. Yeah. Whether even if yeah. even if it goes fine, like I'm not like saying like oh, I hope she gets a crappy letter like that. Although that would be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, no, just but I hope that they they do get the chance to be a director just so they can you know hopefully that sinks in what the what it's yeah. like to to have to uh, yeah pick a cast and and say no to people. That's tough. That's I, I, I there's there are some wise words um, that I got from. Maureen Morley, another just for show guest, um, because I, I fretted about a particular audition. It was something I really wanted. And it was something that I uh, almost talked myself out of going for it because I Mm. thought, oh man, this'll, this'll hurt so bad if I don't get this one, Mm. which is silly. You know, that's, that makes no sense logically, but when you're having an emotional moment, logic goes out the window. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I remember I finally said, okay, I'm going to do it because rejection is worth worse than, or rejection is better than regret. Right. Hmm. And Maureen Morley said, nothing is worse than regret. And I, I remember like that has stuck with me where it's like, However badly you you might fear the rejection, yeah. um, if you have been rejected before, or if it's something like that where the stakes are very high to you personally, it's still better to just go for it and yeah. risk that because the the worst thing would be to look back and say, I was too scared of possibly being rejected that I didn't go yeah. for this thing I really wanted. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Because you do put yourself out there and you know that not everybody's mm-hmm. going to get cast. So, you know, when you make friends with people, I've got so many friends, I'm sure you do too, that are kind of like your same type, um, where you know that, like, oh man. Oh, that, like you'd be up for the same parts. Yeah, we're up for the sure. same parts. One of us is going to get it, one of us isn't. Sure. Um, how's this going to go down? And so after a while, I mean, I'm going to, I'm, pretty good place with that now. But I know when, when maybe you're just getting started, if you haven't done this before, or if you're really young, Mm -hmm. some of that is hard to process sometimes. Yeah. If you're not the one who's chosen. 
Yeah, I, I feel for those people who are, you know, just starting out and very invested or have a, you know, special situation like, you know, their their best friend is also in theater and the same height and the same look and, you know, mm-hmm. there are only so many shows that are casting sisters and twins. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. That's when yeah. one of you takes up directing. <laughs> just don't send any nice emails. <laughs> just don't. Just You're going to direct. If you do and damned if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, what about um, another type of, I guess, a perceived rejection? Have you ever gotten a, like a bad review personally or for the show that you were in? Did you ever experience that kind yeah, of yeah. I, rejection? Um, yeah, I know. I know other people probably have more stories about like actual reviews, like from actual critic type folks. Um, I don't have a lot of history of that either because I just wasn't in those types of shows or didn't wasn't aware of the review or what have you. But um, oh, lucky you! Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. But I do have the personal reviews. I like a lot of us do, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I, I, I have this theory that everybody who's in, an actor in local theater has at least one friend or acquaintance who is the one who doesn't sugarcoat anything. And uh, yeah. Yep. That can be a little rough sometimes mm. when you're like, when you're ready for honest open feedback, it's great. But if it's the person who 100% of the time is like unpolished, <laughs> going to tell you what they think, yeah. there are times you're not ready for that. That's that right. can be hard. And I, I know somebody like that too. It's invaluable when that's what you're looking for. Yes. Because, you know, sometimes that's exactly what you need is like, all right, I can't ask this person because they're too nice. I need somebody. You no, know, they'll, they'll, they'll shoot you straight. Yeah. Um, but so. sometimes it's like, to what, to what end, you know, is it <laughs> yeah. to, is it to help you improve something or. Yeah. Is it just like, well, this show's doomed. So, I mean, what do you got? Like three more weeks left? Good luck, buddy. Uh, yeah, because that dog won't hunt. So, yeah. you know, then it's like, well, th- thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, it's rough. I mean, yeah. whether it's a person or whether it's a, you know, a, a reviewer, critic, no one wants mm-hmm. to hear that they're, the thing that they've worked on for weeks is is no good. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, there aren't as many like, uh, theater critics as there were some years ago. I think a lot of newspapers did away with that particular position of like, go out and watch shows and write about them. But, you know, some years ago that was still a thing. And (laughs) I can remember, you know, there was one that I got where it was like the first thing they mentioned was that the type of shoes that I wore bothered them. And like, they brought it up a couple times that they couldn't get past (laughs) the shoes. And I was like, wow, what? You know, and it was one of those where I remember I was like really proud of my performance and the show and we were feeling really good. And this review came and it was like, never would a character of that era wear da da da. And I was like, Oh, I can't. What? What is this person's backstory? I am fascinated <laughs> with this person now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I kept that. I like to keep things that make me feel horrible, like old emails and bad reviews about shoes. 
Yeah, I want to know more about the critic who can't get past <laughs> the shoes and mentions yeah. it more than once. I can just and mentions it. Well, first more of than all, once. these shoes are all wrong. <laughs> Secondly, they were late getting yes. on stage. But what do you expect from someone wearing shoes like that? <laughs> and they, they, and is it because is it just shoes for everything? That's what I want to know about this person. Do they like go out to right. dinner and they're like, "Well, how was the linguini?" Okay, but the waitress's shoes. We're the waitress's shoes. Stop talking about shoes. I know, I know. Yes, and I don't believe that this person totally eviscerated the show or my performance, but that was a focus, and I was so disturbed by it. That made me feel rejected. That made me feel, as an actor, like, wow, I must not be interesting to watch. <laughs> shoes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, or maybe you're a weirdo who's like really obsessed with shoes. Oh, but, man. Yeah. Anyway, these are these are the things that actors deal with. Um, <laughs> different types of rejection. Uh, yeah, that would freak me out for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the well, next three shows that I'm in, I'm like, what shoes am I going to wear? Oh, three? I mean, for, how about a lifetime, Galen? <laughs> I can never let it go. I mean, it's permanently scarred now. <laughs> talking about it on a podcast this is my therapy little did i know anytime mm -hmm. that I, I mentioned shoes i was just deepening the wounds and heidi's <laughs> psyche right don't talk well, about shoes know. around heidi <laughs> look oh, there are things okay you gotta be known for something that's <laughs> true <sighs> so i don't know galen how do you, is there anything that you do to cope with rejection? Is there any like little thing that you tell yourself in your mind or? I never get told no, Heidi. Oh, right. <laughs> that must be nice. <laughs> I've only played the lead role in everything I've <clears throat> auditioned for. <clears throat> no, I, God, I mean, that, I mean, I, I never go into any situation thinking that I, know that I am the right person for this in the first place. I could say yeah. that I want it, but whether or not I'm the right person for it is a completely different question. So I, I spend more time thinking about that than I do about like, I want this. Um, so, so mature. <laughs> I guess. That's uh, so wise. You're like, if I go in with this attitude, then I can't come out hurt. <laughs> you know, I, I worked in sales for a long time mm -hmm. and one of the, the things that we learned is it's a numbers game. You want to talk to as many people as possible because yeah. they're not all going to buy from you, but the more people you talk to, the more no's you get, the closer you are to a yes. Yeah. One thing that we had mentioned on previous episodes um, that I think helps even in this case is if you started out in theater, like in school or something, and you didn't limit yourself to just acting, if you took a spot on the stage crew or the sound, or you did multiple roles, you know, acting and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think that kind of softens the blow a little bit too, because when I did that, I thought of myself as a part of the show and which mm -hmm. role I got or whether I got a, you know, whether my job was on stage or somewhere else became less important. It was just like, okay, well, if there's an opening for me somewhere in this show, great. And if not, I got to wait for the next show. So that helps me deal with it a little bit. Yep. That you can still be a part of it or, or, um, 
or in my case, still go and see it and support it and right. be a part of it that way. You know, yeah. And that there's just plenty to go around. I mean, I think um, one of our recent guests, Cass Hessick, was talking about how in college that she had, you know, a, a college theater director who passed on her several times and she wasn't a favorite. But the minute mm. she got out of college, she was cast in a lead role, at, you know, in one of the first things she auditioned for by another right. director who totally saw her as being, you know, the cream of the crop. So yes. it's that's part of it is just knowing like you might be this person's no, but you're that next person's great big old yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. Um, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, right? If you... That's if you right. want to act, if you want to be on stage, you want to be part of shows in some way, then, you know, follow the shows where they are. You don't, don't, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Don't dig your heels in and say, I got to have this or, or else I'm scarred for life. Right. And don't dig your heels in if they're the wrong shoes for your character. God, no. Because someone will write a review about it <laughs> and you will remember it yes, 14 will. years later. Yes, we know this is true. <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> so Heidi, why don't you tell the fine folks who our interviewee is this episode? Well, this episode is a real treat as you and Ben had a delightful chat with our friend, actor, director, and mentor to young minds, the charming Stephen Pickering. And in this episode, you will find out how he can improve your bacon number. And I know you want to know what that is. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Welcome, Stephen Pickering, to the Just for Show show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We are very pleased to have you here. We're hoping to learn more about your whole theater background and where you've been and where you're going. Um, we usually actually just start off by starting at the beginning and saying, Hey, what was it that got you hooked on theater in the first place? Like, where did it begin? Well, uh, I guess my, my story is like, like many stories, um, you know, scrawny teenager walking through London passed by a theater and was bitten by a radioactive Lawrence Olivier. Oh, and, okay. uh, <laughs> um, it's odd because uh, I, I guess I don't know how typical this is or not, but um, for me, uh, acting, theater, whatever, is the only thing I've ever really remembered wanting to do since even a small child. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I have distinct memories of watching television as we all did in those days uh, and never having sort of the feeling of like the little people living in the TV or that these situations that I'm watching were actually people like it, it, it never didn't occur to me that these were people doing a job that people could do. And that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to create these sorts of, of characters. And, um, you know, some of that may have been because of home life or that, that I don't want to let's drag everything down right away, shall we? But, uh, <laughs> no, go um, for it. you know, I, I, growing up, uh, you know, I had some, some family situations that weren't stellar. Um, I don't think any of this is really secret or anything, but, um, you know, I grew up with a, an alcoholic father. Um, so, you know, the thought of escaping into somebody other than me was very appealing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
and probably still is. Um, my father did recover, which was nice, but um, so there, there are, it's not a horribly horrible story, but I think that was so, sort of the impetus was, you know, in those situations and, and there was some abuse and things like that. So there was a real appeal to being somebody else. And I think um, watching people who could do that and escape into being another person, like that always attracted me. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, it's, I don't think I ever, I don't, I don't ever remember wanting to be anything but an actor. Oh, that's so that's so interesting because we we've heard stories of people who just like got bit by the bug later in life or something like that, and it sounds like you had, as from a very early age, you had really set your sights on really going full bore being an actor. Did you did you get a chance to study acting in school early on, or, or? Uh, no, no, I. I... I grew up in, in Northwest Indiana and I don't think there was a lot of culture there. Uh, <laughs> so I really didn't get a chance to do theater until I was in high school because there just was not an opportunity. Oh, okay. Um, and when I was in, in high school, I remember as a freshman, I auditioned for a play, my first play I auditioned for. Um, and uh, it was for the play version of MASH. And I was a huge fan of the TV show and the film and the book. I still am. But so I I wanted to be a part of it and I didn't get cast. Mm. Um, And I I didn't find out why I didn't get cast until years later. And it was my own sort of lack of confidence in myself, really. Um, I did not have a lot of confidence that I could memorize lines. And so what I did when I went to auditions was I looked for the smallest play, the smallest role in the play and said, this is the role I want. And this is the only role I will accept. And because I said, this is the only role that I will accept, that was already right there. You're not going to get cast. uh, You know, here I am. I'm trying to be a a corner. I'm trying to be agreeable and, and, but you, you learn from that. Yeah, so, um, sure. so the next year I did get cast and then I'd been get I was getting cast, uh, after that, that was an, a real experience because also growing up, I it was, you'll find this hard to believe. No, I was not the most popular kid in school. Um, oh. <laughs> I, it, it was, uh, by far, um, you know, I was bullied a lot and it was, uh, I had a few a few close friends, but it was uh, school was very rough, and finding theater was the first environment that I found that was welcoming of me for who I was, and I it was something I had never experienced until I was cast in that first show, um, and and people who. I would think might not have, you know, looked twice at me or might have, there were some people who actually had bullied me earlier in, in, in school years before in school were suddenly like very close friends. And we'd, we'd found a connection and a bonding through theater that we couldn't find anywhere else in society. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And, and so that's what really kind of, I guess, drew me in. I, I remember out of that experience, um, it was very overwhelming for me. And I, um, I wrote a note to our director, uh, just detail because I'm, you know, I was very, I didn't know anybody else who knew this and I just wanted to thank her for giving, the, giving me this. And I, and I wrote this note to her and it was, um, I think it was pretty fairly personal too, as I recall, but, um, she, and then she asked, um, I gave it to her opening night the, the, at school and she asked if she could read it to the cast. And I said, well, 
I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I said, for instance, oh, well, sure. I, you know, uh, um, I didn't know how to react. Um, and do, she, do you like me? And then it's got a little checkbox for yes <laughs> and a little checkbox for no. <laughs> uh, so, you know, because I'm a, a socially awkward kid anyway. But, um, but she read it to the cast. And I, I remember during and afterward, this silence from everyone and there, some of the kids were crying and it was, it, I didn't know that something I could contribute would be valued in that way. It, that just was a huge life-changing event for me. And so if ever I was like ever on the fence of doing theater, mm. that was the thing that solidified me. Like this is, this is where I belong. This is where I, this is where I belong. It sounds like you made a real connection with that community. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and in a way, it's never left. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, the the folks that we work with uh, these days, in, not in Northwest Indiana, and not in high school anymore. <laughs> but uh, but but do you still get the same sort of feeling among the some of the casts and and in the shows that you're in of that? In, if I'm really lucky in a really good show, and there are several casts that I've had that where yeah, you do get that connection and that yeah. community and that 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 closeness that you just don't feel anywhere else. Um, and and oddly enough, the the show I'm doing now because uh, I'm working on Noises Off now in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, one of my classmates who I hadn't seen since high school forty years ago, um, mm-hmm. and did theater with, came to the show. And I wow. saw, got to see him after the show, and it was a wonderful moment. I, oh, that's so cool! It was great. It was it was so wonderful. Wow! Yeah, theaters just what a connect like just building connections, right? Lifelong yeah. connections. It's it's a community unlike any other. So, Stephen, um, you loved theater from an early age, uh, but like a lot of us, me myself included, you didn't really get to start it until. You went to high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you did that, did you move on from there and study more in your studying? Did you find um, any mentors for you to lead you? Or were you kind of finding your own way and fumbling through like the, the artist culture? Oh, I was, well, in a little bit, I was a bit like a pachinko ball, right? Where I'm just like bouncing off of whatever <laughs> peg comes by. Um, Certainly my high school director, Mrs. Chikina, was a huge, huge influence on me. Um, but I, And I knew that, I, I knew this is where I was going to be. I knew that this is where I belonged. And I, I went to Illinois Wesleyan and studied acting there, um, theater performance. Um, they were our, our first foray into, uh, into studying acting really was Diving right into Stanislavski uh, and an actor prepares um, uh, Dr. Ficka, who was the the acting teacher that at, at the university, at the, and he was a huge mentor to me. Um, very very influential. Uh, Dr. John Clark, who had been at the university for many years, was a huge influence. He gave me one of my first really really good uh, reviews, if you will. Uh, in college, because um, he retired while we were there, and he'd been at the university for many, many, many years. And when he gave a retirement speech to the theater, commu- the theater school, and uh, he had mentioned over his years at the university these images that he would always bring, he would always take with him that he would always remember. And one of the images that he said he would always remember was 
my performance in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Wow. And and I pl- I played Ruckley, who's the uh, the lobotomy patient. Um, I you know I have one line. I say it five times. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a great line because it's there's a swear word in it, and it's it's wonderful for a college student. But uh, oh, so man. not a lot to memorize either. But um, we must have and, said it damn well. Well, and I was on stage the entire time. Um, but he said the image of of me on stage was just so striking to him. Um, and it was also one of the that was the play that I got a. a a really good note from a review, if you will, from one of my friends who, and I've had this happen just a few times, but it's always a goal um, <laughs> where one of my friends saw it with another friend of hers and her, her friend asked about near intermission when I was going to be on stage, when I was going to come out on stage. And my friend was like, he's been out here the whole time. Wow. Cause I was up against the wall. I was, I was that unrecognizable yeah. and, and I love that when someone doesn't recognize me in the character that I'm playing, it's only happened really a few times. Right. Um, but, and, and it's just, to me, that is, that is the, about the highest praise an actor can, can get when you've just disappeared so fully into a character that you as a person mm-hmm. aren't, aren't recognizable in that form anymore. Yeah. You are this other character. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah, that is impressive if you can if you can manage that. That's yeah, fantastic. It's, yeah, I, I, it's it's something I always strive for. It's it like I say it's happened a few times. Um and and I love when it does. So you mentioned some people who helped you along the way. Did you get the chance to mentor or or inspire or help along uh any other folks? Um well, I get to mentor more now, um, being the older, wiser actor that I've become. <laughs> He's got, a, for those of you who can't see, he has a very long, long white beard. He is in a robe. He's just the, scre- yeah. screams mentor. It's, it's the staff that I'm holding. There's water <laughs> parting in front of me. Um, there's, uh, but I, I get to work with uh, a lot of younger actors now that I get to... Uh, pass along wisdom or, or just work on characters or whatever. And there's, a, there's always those mentoring opportunities. Um, I'm working with uh, one, of, one of my castmates now, and I, I'm, I, I'm kind of always telling her, offering advice as we do, you know, and, mm-hmm. but um, advice to, you know, especially for, for younger women in theater to make sure that you stand up for yourself, make sure that you're comfortable in everything you're doing, make sure that you know, you are being treated well. And I, and I, and, and I think those things are so important and where I can offer those sorts of advice I do. Um, the other thing I get to mentor is I get to, um, for the last 13, 14 years, uh, I've been directing at our local middle school in Fox River Grove. Uh, oh, I direct our fun. show. And it, that is wonderful. Cause then I get to mentor fifth through eighth graders and it, takes me back to I get to channel my high school director <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of ways um, you get to train the future Stevens and Stephanies of the theater world and 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 I yeah and for a lot of these kids I mean so you know they're 10 years old starting out sometimes and for a lot of these kids this is the first theatrical experience they've ever had 
And so I get to sort of guide them into this world in a, in a way that is um, very easy for them to, to get into and easy to explore. And I want to create a, an environment where they can create and explore in a, in a very safe way because it's a very vulnerable position to be on stage. And um, mm-hmm. they get that because middle school is a very awkward time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I don't think anybody in middle school ever feels comfortable with who they are. And so we get to explore telling the story of being a middle school student through these other stories that we're telling. And it didn't dawn on me at first that that's what I was doing, either with play selection or, or uh, in, in working with the students. But it, it dawned on me after a few years that really um, all of the shows that we're doing, I'm, I'm looking and picking shows that tell an aspect or can be translated to the aspect of, of giving kids an opportunity to tell their story in a way through the characters they're playing to an audience who might not really pick up on at least overtly that this is a, this is a middle school student talking about what it's like to be a middle schooler. Um, And, and the one, one show we did that was uh, really, uh, really underscored that I I just had a great moment to, uh, to take advantage of when we did into the woods, the junior version, which is act one of into the woods. Mm-hmm. Which and it's um, and we did it. I, I when I did it, I didn't want to do it in a very storybook motif. Um, there's a lot of disconnect in Into the Woods. Um, our, our image for the show was sort of um, all the characters were together alone. They were all interconnecting, but they were on different paths. And there were people who who would meet each other take a short journey, but then would go off in their own directions. And so that's, that, that was a lot of what middle school kids do is they kind of find their own path. They intersect with each other, but they kind of find their own way. Hmm. And they're, um, they're also finding their own way, sort of starting to distance a little bit from their parents, in a sense, and finding their own independence and finding their own voice. And so I was finding those stories to tell through Into the Woods. And what really crystallized it for me was in the junior version, it's all act one, except for one song, the children will listen song, which they put at, as a curtain call. And I decided I didn't want to do that as a curtain call. So I used other music for the curtain call. And then I used that song as sort of a coda at the end. And I told the kids, the only time I've ever told kids to do this, uh, I told them, I, I want you to get a, a, an eight by 10 or larger picture of your parents, grandparents, some adult who's important in your life, and you can't tell them why. It's the only time I've ever told the kids, I want you to do this and you can't tell your parents why, because I run a very mm-hmm. open rehearsal. Uh, I always encourage parents to be at rehearsal. Um, mm-hmm. But I said, you can't, you can't tell them why. And what I wanted them to, and I said, some of, some of the kids I actually set up with, a, I had their parents sit in a particular spot in the auditorium and I would have reserved chairs for them. And I said, you have to tell your parents to sit in those chairs and, I, I, and you can't tell them why. And they're so gonna, what they're I They're going to get something dumped on them. No. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you've ever seen Nickelodeon, you get yeah, it. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what I, what I did was during that song, we, um, we brought out all the pictures and the kids were holding their pictures up on stage and singing 
about how um, when these adults in their life are, are, are telling them things or when they're just as they're behaving or what, no matter, even when their kids are rebelling, even when they, they're telling you they're not listening, when it looks sounds like they're not listening, they're listening to everything you're saying. You are an example to them and how much that means to those kids. And so I had them sing it to those pictures. And for those kids with the parents in this particular, I had the kids go out and sit in their parents' lap and wow. sing that. And I had like moms with tears in their eyes. And it was that oh, I knew yeah. I won. It was, <laughs> oh, it was such a yeah. glorious moment. I could never pull it off again. But I was so happy to have those performances. There were three performances and we had different parents every time. And mm. it was, I, I was so thrilled to pull that oh. off. What a great idea. And, and I'm sure they're going to remember that like for the rest of their lives. I hope so. But I, you know, you've got this song. How do you not do something like that? How, right. you know, I was just like, I had to take advantage of that. That was mm. a gift. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We've, we've seen it done the right way so many times, right? If there is a the right way. So yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really a remarkable, like just special and magic moment. It, it was it was really great. Uh, yeah. I, like I say, I'll never be able to pull that off again. I'll probably never top that as a moment, but I was so happy to have it. So you haven't done like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Jr. at the school or anything like that? or I, I keep joking that my last show there will be Book of Mormon Jr. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'll be popular. There, there is an Avenue Q school edition. I did oh, read it. Jesus. It's uh, it's an experience. I don't think anybody oh, will still yeah. produce it, but uh, but yeah, uh, that's one of my favorite games to play by myself. Is just like how do you how do you make something into a junior version? Yeah, I, how do you do Fiddler on the Roof Junior? Where there's that scene where that. The, where the dad's like berating his daughter, and you know it's like a seventh grade boy who's like four feet tall and his daughter's the tallest girl in class. And he's like, how dare you not marry this boy? And you're like, <laughs> you're just like, Oh jeez. The, uh, the, the biggest challenge. Then they do have Fiddler in the Roof Jr. <laughs> there oh, is a, uh, yeah. <laughs> they have guys and dolls junior, which stuns me in my core as well. Um, Death of a salesman junior. Yeah. The, like... the biggest challenge I had was when we did legally blonde junior. Uh, Cause there's, really? there's a junior of legally blonde. And, um, and I really struggled with a couple of aspects of that. One is the bend and snap, which of course is in the junior version. Mm -hmm. uh, and they also and I, cut the entire murder case. No, the murder case is in there. Oh, well, I mean, junior, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they cut the department store scene. <laughs> I I know. I'm like, that's a great song, but... That's but, uh, but but they leave the murder because they need it, you know. Right. Yeah, I, I did challenge my uh, my choreographer a lot for the bend and snap because I'm like, this cannot be creepy because I've got you know ten to fourteen year olds up on stage and I I just can't. And she yeah. did a fantastic job of making that appropriate for that age without having to trim out anything. Um, we had to change a couple of words, which I don't know if MTI is going to let us do that or not, but we did anyway, because they didn't change them and it was awful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so just to make me feel more comfortable, but yeah. uh, the hardest part for that was when, when the boss comes on to L Woods, because mm -hmm. that's in there. And I had to, I couldn't back away from it because, and I didn't, I didn't I, feel that would be appropriate to I back agree. away from it. I, I agree know, with you. This, this is something that kids of this age are going through. They recognize, you know, I, 
I always say, you know, there's no content and they, they do, you know, edit for content in those, those versions, but there's no content that I'm throwing at these middle school kids that they are not prepared for. They're already way ahead of me. Mm -hmm. And so they, we, we found a, a really appropriate way to stage it. It was very simple where I just had her, uh, her teacher just kind of inch closer to her and put a hand on her shoulder and then she just brushed it away. And so, but it was simple, but powerful. It was enough to underscore and it made the moment, but they got, they got the moment and they got the depth of that moment. Hmm. And they, they totally, oh, there was the, the song with Warner where she thinks he's going to propose and he doesn't. Um, we, we were choreographing that and uh, our choreographer um, had Warner uh, L, L pop up and Warner had to sit her down. And when our choreographer said, now you have to sit her down and all the girls in the room went, Ooh, and I'm mm. like, yes, they get it. They understand. Mm. And that's how they're going to tell the story. That's fun. Yeah. Kids are, kids are little geniuses sometimes. Not they all are. the time. Not, not, not every day, but <laughs> for a while I was trying to uh, shoehorn uh, a way to get this to relate to uh, community theater so that I could make it fit in with the rest of the questions. But then I just gave up and said, you know, I just want to ask Stephen about Doctor Who. Oh, sure. You could totally do that. <laughs> um, there, are, there are Doctor Who plays. And if any community theaters would like to produce them, I am available. <laughs> uh, there we go. Doctor what now? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I can talk Doctor Who all day. <laughs> well, that's what I was hoping for. I just started uh, trying to watch every episode of Doctor Who uh, that still exists. Anyway. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of them. There are a lot. <laughs> still on, I'm still on the third Doctor, but it's going okay. great. It's going great. Are you trying to go in order? Yeah. That's, wow. I, I'm impressed. Well done. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I started watching, I did not go in order. Yeah. No, because I was I started watching on you know PBS and it was whatever was on and so you know I, oh, of course yeah yep. so I started yep. with Tom Baker and then went to Peter Davison and you know I could have hopped around continuity for a long time but you know it's fine Peter Davison the one with the celery yep okay <laughs> <laughs> I know Tom I know Tom it's Tom Baker it's yeah, it's Tom Peter. And then it's Colin Baker, and then it's right. uh, Sylvester, <laughs> Sylvester McCoy. You got it. And, you got and then, it. And then, and then Paul, and then Paul McGann. Yeah. And then uh, John Hurt, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> John Hurt shoehorned in. Yes, yeah. and then I can do it from there. Yeah, my, mine okay. is mine is Davy. Uh, I just I you know I I try to get into it, and then um, we happen to have BBC America at the time, and so mm -hmm. the first episode I caught was a, a Martha and David or Martha and the 10th doctor episode. Yeah. Um, but then I found out that I could get it on demand. So I went back to the, um, the start of the series uh, okay. nine. And so I was like, okay, cool. Watch nine yeah. through. That's a great jumping on point. Uh, actually. Oh yeah. I think so. So if you do go back and watch the old stuff, you'll see some references you probably didn't pick up on, but <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to, when I, when I find I have time again, I'd like to go back and do that. Yeah, see, I'm relating it to theater because I'm, I'm calling it uh, research for when I uh, when I get the, a Doctor Who role on yeah. on stage at some well, point. Well, I'm not making that up. There are at least two, maybe three plays that are written that are Doctor Who plays that Same. were done. Um, I know they were produced in in England. Um, Trevor Martin, I think, played uh, the Doctor in the first one. And there's an audio company called Big Finish that has done audio versions of all of the plays. 
Oh, so wow. you could listen to all of them. If we if we write our own Doctor Who play, we could all play the Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> he, he would just have to die intermittently. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he died. <laughs> it can be done. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, if you ever need to get the understudy, you can just write that in, and that's yeah, right. So, so the doctor suddenly <laughs> died, and uh, he's different now. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of audio type performances, I was going to ask you about uh, a, a while ago when the pandemic first hit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it affected individuals in theater in different ways, and I was wondering how how it affected your your relationship with theater. Uh, well, at first it did like everybody else and it, you know, everything stopped. Um, I, I was actually, um, we were about four weeks away from putting Annie up at our middle school when everything got shut down. And that was the first time that I'd ever experienced a show not going on. And that was really hard on the kids. It was hard on me. I'd been doing theater for 40 years at that point, and I had never experienced that. Um, So that was, that was, that just gutted me. Um, And it made me a little uh, nervous about any sort of thing or what this was going to be like when we started up again, what that was going to be like. Um, So at first there was, you know, after that, there was almost nothing. There were, you know, the online Zoom play reads. Um, I got connected with um, uh, classic Zoom works, which would read a lot of Shakespeare plays and a lot of other classic plays online. Those were fun. Uh, I was I involved with, uh, started getting involved with Zooming the Movies, which is a Facebook community where they do film scripts. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's great fun to do those because, you know, there's no prep, there's no rehearsal. There's no, you know, you get the script in front of you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're changing your background on camera. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, but there, you're just, you're doing it as a lark. You don't know who's watching. Although I did have a friend of mine in Texas who watched, um, our zooming the movies, uh, production of there will be blood. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me a nice compliment. And I was like, dude, you were watching. It's so cool. <laughs> um, you know, he doesn't get a chance to see me perform much because he's in Texas. So, uh, so that was kind of nice. Um, but yeah, there was nothing for a while. And then I did, um, I got a call from, uh, Julie price, my friend, Julie price, who was directing, uh, a radio holiday radio show in Elgin. And I had done their radio show previous and it was just an onstage holiday, you know, old Mm -hmm. holiday radio episodes. Um, but the, because it was still pandemic, we weren't doing it in front of an audience this time. We were recording it. So, um, so I got involved with that. Um, that was near the end of 20. What, it's hard to think back when time has no meaning anymore. Right. Uh, that was, exactly. it was the, near the end of 2020. Yeah. Um, and then that was broadcast on an Elgin radio, the Elgin radio station. I forget the call letters. Uh, they're probably going to hate me now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really love your station. Uh, um, and then soon after that, uh, Julie called me again. It was around Christmas time and gave me a wonderful Christmas present and said she was looking at doing a filmed version of Pygmalion. Really? And would I be interested in playing Henry Higgins? And I, uh, I think it took me about a second and a half to go yes. <laughs> um, 
And so uh, we filmed that uh, near the beginning, kind of in, we started filming in spring 2021. And then we worked on that for several months. That was a really interesting process of of filming because we're all community theater people, and we don't. Yeah, I was just going to ask: Is it sort of you know learning a new skill on the fly? Kind of, kind of. It it took me back a number of years because, and this goes back a ways. Like my first job out of college was getting cast in a John Hughes movie. So, so I'd done some film work right out of college, like years ago. Yeah, I got cast in. uh, Uh, there's a movie called she's having a baby. Um, and I got, there's a wedding scene at the beginning. Um, so I, they had an open audition for, if you know the movie, there's like this lawnmower dance, suburban lawnmower dance, which is kind of a charming dance. So they had an open call audition for that. And I didn't know any better. So I went, even though I was like completely too young for that. So I went to the audition obviously way too young, but a week later I got a call back to come in and audition for the wedding scene. So they said, you know, dress nice, casual, just come, you know, give me the hotel banquet room to go to. So I went and I, you know, I just dressed, you know, nice, nice, kind of nice, casual, didn't wear blue jeans. Uh, I walked into the room. There's like 200 people in the room. (laughs) I swear about 50 Molly Ringwald lookalikes because John Hughes, we knew it was a John Hughes movie. So 50 (laughs) Molly Ringwald lookalikes, everybody, all the guys looked like they were straight out of the typical eighties John Hughes movie. And Mm. I did not, (laughs) I did not have that look. Um, And then uh, out of that process, a week later after that audition uh, was told I was cast as one of the groomsmen for the wedding. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So, and then it took months to actually film it because there were all these delays, but, uh-huh. and it, these were back, this is pre-internet. So I had to call the, call the agency every week to see if they sure. were going to be filming oh. and they would say, no, we're not, but we have this other thing. Do you want to do this? And I'm sure. So mm-hmm. I would do, you know, any other films that were, uh, filming in, in town, I would do, um, and then you'd meet people and you'd hear about other films that were coming in. So, so it so took, it took a few was months. That, was that exciting for you as your oh. first job out of college? Oh, it was, it was thrilling. It was absolutely <laughs> thrilling. Cause we were, um, and we were bit, we were, we were, uh, it was a bit part. So I had done, when we actually filmed it, I had done a number of, uh, atmosphere or extra work. And, you know, some of those sets, if you've done those, some of those sets are wonderful. And some of those sets are just grueling. Um, there was one film I did where we were in a holding area for nine hours and 45 minutes. Oof. We were brought on set to film for 15 minutes and then told to go home. So that was, that was a brutal day. Uh, uh, so some of those could be really bad, but, and some of them are really good, but as a bit, it was, it was like one step up from, from atmosphere. And I remember we had, they put the wedding party when they filmed that, they filmed it at a, uh, at a church in uh, Winnetka and they put us in a Sunday school room. And so we're all getting to know each other. We're sitting around a table and uh, there was a door right by our table. And then there's a wall that extended about halfway into the room and then ended, which was kind of odd. And then a door on the other side of, that wall. Um, and there were, there were people uh, who were, who, the extras were in, they were lining up on 
through both doors because they were looking at costumes at the back of the room. So uh, one of the production assistants comes by and looks at the line by our table and she says, um, can we move this line over to this other door so we can give our actors some space? And we just looked at each other like, I think they mean us. <laughs> and then one of the one of the actresses who played a one of the bridesmaids, she's like, I'll never forget this line. She's like, I will never do extra work again. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Uh, but we had so much fun. We shot for four days on that. Um, uh, Elizabeth McGovern's sister played the maid of honor. And so she hung out with us all four mm -hmm. days. She, I, I had brought again, pre-internet, pre-phones. So, you know, one guy, he delivered newspapers. So he always brought in the Chicago Tribune that morning. So we would do that. We would play uh hangman on a chalkboard because we were bored. And I brought in like a couple decks of cards and we would play poker for crayons because, huh. you know, we're sitting around, there's a lot of downtime. So we're playing <laughs> poker for, so every day I would come in and Elizabeth McGovern's sister would find me and say, did you bring the cards? Did you bring the cards? <laughs> she was such a poker feed. She, she was wonderful. Slaps down a 64 <laughs> pack of Crayola. She's <laughs> like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm in. Deal me in. <laughs> Hit me. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then this is sort of early in his career, but uh, Alec Baldwin was just sort of hanging out with us. So I get to like sit around the food cart and talk to Alec Baldwin for quite a bit. <laughs> Wow. He was a yeah. super nice guy. Um, How was the food cart? The food cart was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the food was amazing. Forget, I said, forget Alec Baldwin. Was, was that about a food cart? <laughs> all, all, the, all the food was fantastic. And one day at lunch, I sat down. I just sat, I found the rest of my wedding party, right? My friends at the wedding party. And I just sat down at the table across from them. And uh, the person across from me is like, uh, she, she's like, she's pointing to her side. She's like, so I look at my side where she's pointing. I didn't realize that I'd sat next to Elizabeth McGovern. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we're all sort of intermixed. Um, and she was super nice. I, you know, she's very quiet, but about the third day of filming, she just came over to me and was like, hi, how's it going? You know, and just everybody was very chill. She's like, I hear you're um, the guy who got the cards. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> talking to her sister. Like, yeah, come over for poker night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's where I got my Kevin Bacon number. Because Kevin Bacon was in that film, so nice. so oh, that's part of go. part of my uh, part of my gift to humanity. I think is I lower people's Kevin Bacon number. So, <laughs> so uh, and then uh, the guy who plays the minister for the wedding, he uh, I got to know him. He was a super nice guy. Uh, he was telling me about like filming war movies in the Philippines, and he had such great stories. Oh. Um, and then, just by happenstance. A week later, uh, I had gotten cast as an extra in Untouchables, mm -hmm. and I was in the courtroom wow. scenes. So I walk into the courtroom, and there he is up on the bench. He plays the, he's playing the judge in Untouchables. So mm -hmm. I walk, I, you know, and the courtroom was not a real court. It was, it was a set. It was built in, in Cicero in a warehouse. So I walk into the set. I walk down the aisle of this this courtroom that they built and he's up there and he's waving to me and all these other extras around me are like who's this guy who knows the people <laughs> <laughs> oh that's gotta be awesome it was great i know the great. judge so <laughs> yeah well and one of the because they filmed like 
two different days of court. You know, it's basically the same group and they just mix everybody around. So for the second scene, the big pivotal scene where they changed the verdict, they had put me, I'm right behind Capone's bodyguards. So I got like really yeah. great screen time, but I was super close to Robert De Niro. And really? the first time he did that scene, I've never seen this before. The first time he, or since, the first time he did that scene, after he was done with his performance, the entire room stood up and applauded just spontaneously. Oh. He, he, he was that powerful. And it really was a tremendous performance. Um, just being that close to, to it. Um, wow, but we got, had so much to be fun. right there. Yeah. It was so much fun. And we were so animated. We, um, we, we broke one of the benches that we were sitting on just because we were all up and down and, you know, it erupts into a big, uh, <laughs> frenzy. And yeah, oh my there was a, the, the, the rail that was separating, you know, the defense from the, from the audience watching, um, was not nailed down. So we kept pushing it forward. Oh, <laughs> I was getting closer getting, and closer to yeah, De Niro. It was, like, it was ah. so much fun. Um, we had a lot of fun. I got, I got to meet uh, the guy who plays Frank Nitti from that film, who was a, a really tremendously nice guy. Yeah, that was, that was a really cool experience. I really in, enjoyed that. But anyway, I, I'm trailing. I do tangent a bit, if that's okay. That's <laughs> the, the point of the whole show. Is- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What were we talking about? Uh, so basically getting back to film. So it reawakened all of that film, you know, work that I hadn't done for years. Um, it, it was starting to come back, but it was, it was inter- It was different because, you know, we're all community theater people. Right. And so it was interesting to see how the, how the, the direction would go. And, and Julie just grew tremendously as a, as a director uh, for film. She'd never done film before. Um, you know, started with the idea that, oh, we'll do it. We'll stage it just like it's a play and we'll put a camera up and we'll just film it that way. And after a day or two, it was like, no, we're lining up shots and we're, you know, we're, we're filming this section. Now we're, you know, and uh, Tom Letourneau, who was who our sound, he, he'd done our sound engineering and he had done tons of film and sound and he had, he's a remarkable guy and he was a really great mentor to, to all of us. Um, in, in how to start thinking in film uh, mm-hmm. rather than uh, rather than stage, which is it does alter it doesn't alter the work that you do as an actor, but it alters things like how much you project because mm. uh, we were hiding microphones on us to pick up for the for the filming. And uh, my friend Elizabeth, who plays Eliza, um, she and I were always getting yelled at because we would have microphones on us. We're always spiking the sound because oh. you know, <laughs> that projection muscle just... Playing for the back of the room there. It, right. You know, it just doesn't turn off. And so, <laughs> so it, you know, we had to kind of relearn that and how to take those moments down a little bit in volume without losing any intensity and stuff. So, yeah. um, so it was an interesting interesting process of filming the other thing is we would film pygmalion is five acts so we would film we'd have we do an act at a time we would work on it rehearse a couple times over two weeks we have a two-week run so we'd rehearse we'd block it we'd rehearse it a couple times and then we'd film it and then the next act so so really you're like you're churning through it and you're like as soon as i get it in my head we're filming it i'm flushing this out so i can get to the next act and okay that's um, crazy it's it's insane and then Somewhere in the mid part of it, uh, somewhere in the middle, we'd filmed act two, we were on act three. And then when we were, the day we were filming act three, 
um, they asked us to come back an extra day because they said something happened to the memory card for act two and we have to refilm it. Oh, and we were all panicked because we're like, wait, I already forgot act two. <laughs> <laughs> wait, that's not how this is supposed to work. <laughs> I'm on act three now. I don't remember. That was, that was a week ago. I don't remember. <laughs> I, threw, I threw that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we all had to scurry and learn act two again <laughs> and, and redo it. Um, like riding the yeah. bike. <laughs> it, it was a process, and even in, in even harder because that was after, you know, about eight months or so of pandemic, mm. when you're not memorizing anything, and mm-hmm. that's it's amazing how quickly that's a muscle that gets relaxed and you start to lose it when you don't use it. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it, it was a good exercise to remind me how to. Memor- and I never had good memorization techniques. I was always just like, I just got to power through. I got to rote, memorize. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I never had a good system. So it was a challenge for me to, to do that and work under that pace. But then, yeah, we finished that. Then I did, right after that, I did uh, with Elgin Theater Company uh, again, um, Thomas Newman directed. We did uh, Importance of Being Earnest. Um, and then right after that, we did an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew called Taming of the Fool, which was done for Elgin Fringe Fest. It was a cutting and adaptation of that. Um, that was also filmed. Uh, and that was that was interesting. The, Thomas, our director, uh, made a really interesting choice because some of the actors, we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time, as, as happens in film. And it's still like Shakespeare. There's a, Some of the actors have like really long monologues, and they're like... Hmm we can't memorize this in this amount of time. We just can't. So he came up with a, 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 a motif where we would have our scripts in, in binders with us as we're doing it. And then when we'd get to the end of a page, we would just tear it off and throw it on the, the stage. And so yeah. as we're going through and filming, we're, you know, there's a, just the stage floor is just littered with. <laughs> so we kind of filmed it as a one camera on a stage with all the pages. And it was kind of a cool way to stage it. But it was also like helped us because if we forgot a line. It was right in front of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it served a couple of purposes. But uh, so we, I filmed that. Then then after Taming of the Fool, then I got my first show back on stage in front of an audience after months and months and months. Um, and that was with Parker players in Barrington. Uh, they did spider's web, like the Christie play. Um, and, uh, I, I love doing Agatha Christie plays. So, and then after spider's web, then, uh, I got, cast in what did I do then? I, anyway, <laughs> what was it like getting back on stage again after that? Oh, it was, yeah, it was, um, it was really interesting. Well, the other thing is, and we still deal with this, um, even with noises off now, um, the thing you would go in almost every rehearsal, you're waiting to be told, okay, we're going to have to cancel. Okay. We're going to shut this down. Mm -hmm. And you knew of, I, I knew of other productions who were getting shut down because, you know, the the disease is waving and ebbing and waving and, you know, another variant comes in and there's another wave and then can't mm-hmm. do anything anymore. And so we were always waiting to be told, no, this, this isn't going to work. And mm-hmm. their, their venue, um, Parker, Parker players is they don't have a permanent home yet. They're looking for a permanent home. I really hope they find one. They do such great work. Um, 
So their venue coming back was they rented a banquet room at uh, the Onion Pub in in Lake Barrington, and they set up a stage and had a really, I thought, a phenomenal set for a set being put up in a banquet room. It was wonderful Um, and staged a full play in a banquet room for an audience that was kind of squeezed in a bit because <laughs> uh, those banquet rooms are just not huge. And I think yeah. we, we had, we had very limited seating of like a hundred per night, but we sold out every performance. Um, and, uh, and, and the second performance, this is one of my, my theater stories that my, the second performance uh, was 30 seconds before I was going to walk out on stage. Um, it's the only time this has ever happened to me. 30 seconds before I'm going to walk out on stage, I had a panic attack. Oh, no. <laughs> and the lights are going down for me to enter. And I had a, I was having a panic attack. And uh, my friend Brad, who walked out, who's on stage with me, we're about to walk out. And I'm just like, do you got my back? <laughs> He's like, well, uh-huh. so I'm having a panic attack. I don't know what's going to go on. Um well, what was that like? It, what did you do? Uh, I did a play. <laughs> um, <laughs> fortunately, they were what, filming that night. Was it the night. play you were supposed to do? Uh, I, yeah. Um, the only thing I think that really saved me was the character I played. I, I played Roland in Spider's Web. And the, in, Roland was not having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And it, it, as, as weird as that sounds, because he wasn't having a panic attack, I could, for the most part, get into that character and being in character kept me from completely losing it. Mm-hmm. But it was every time I would go back off stage, then it would pick back up again. And wow. I never, and, and I was on stage enough that I could never have like an extended period of time to just go calm compose myself, get over the panic attack. Because every time I would start to do that, even during intermission, and it would start to, and then I'd have to go back on stage and then I would get in character, but then it would pick back up again. Um, And so I wasn't able to actually get over the panic attack until the, until I was home from the end of the performance. Oh, wow. Which, uh, yeah. Um, And fortunately, a lot of the audience did not know that I was having a panic attack. I did drop a couple lines because um, I just, I felt like I was going to pass out at one point and I just, I knew I skipped a couple lines and I was kicking myself, but my castmates were amazing. They took such good care of me backstage, um, got me through. I would not, I don't think I would have gotten through it without them. Um, They were just- community again. Everybody stands up for each other. Absolutely. It's absolutely, it's, it's, you know, it's the community and community theater. Hmm. I'd also like to no. I'd also like to point out what fortitude. Uh, it sounds like you had in that story as well, Stephen. It's kind of tying back to the first thing we talked about. We said, you know, when did you find this love of acting? And you said, well, as a young child who wasn't happy with what was going on in my life, who wouldn't imagine being someone else or wanting to become someone else? And it seems like theater and its divine graces saw you having a panic attack and it, it it sort of gifted you the role that you were playing that you were able to become that and and sort of work your way out of of that forest you know yeah Where- yeah and I, I was very thankful for for sort of my process of developing a character which is you know my process is to really understand who the 
person is. And really, I, again, my goal to disappear into that character. And so as much as I can disappear into that character and not be me, I cannot have that panic attack. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Similar to another, another theater sort of injury story <laughs> that I tell. It's a good uh, injury story. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one where I, I took the break a leg a little too literally. Oh my. Uh, <laughs> um, during uh, when I did how to succeed uh, in Palatine oh, great uh, show. with, with three of Yeah. I, I, and I played bigly. Um, we did, we did eight performances and the Saturdays were a, a two doshe as they say. So I had a matinee and an evening performance. So the, the second show, the matinee performance first Saturday um, is when it happened. Uh, there, there's the party scene, right? With the olives and, and I played bigly the boss and, and, my secretary slash mistress is getting drunk at the party. And so she has a gag where she dumps a bunch of olives in her drink. And, and not that it would have mattered, but um, the actress playing Hetty didn't like olives. So we used grapes. Um, <laughs> not that it would because an olive would have been the same thing. But mm -hmm. uh, during that performance, one of the grapes sort of got loose on stage. And, uh -oh. and I didn't know. So um, a scene following that is when... Um, I come storming into my office thinking that Finch is in there with my secretary slash mistress and instead mm -hmm. he's in there with his future wife. But um, so I would be on stage right wing, just circling, 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 building up steam so I can storm in when on my cue. And it's, so I'm back in the stage right wing and I'm circling, circling, not realizing there's a stray grape on stage. So <laughs> hit my cue. I storm in, I hit the grape and um, one of the audience members said I did the splits with this, which really worried me because I don't do splits. <laughs> but, I, I, I don't know how to do the splits. I, I don't either, but apparently I have done them uh, at least once. Um, uh, my, my, my ankle, my left ankle slammed into the desk and I went down. I heard the whole audience go, <gasps> which is not really a good sound to hear in a performance. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I grabbed my friend Kevin, who played Finch. I grabbed his arm and I grabbed the desk and I pulled myself up because I was so afraid they were going to cancel. They were just going to close the curtain. Um which talking to Ray, the stage manager afterwards, she would have. She was mm -hmm. almost about to. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I pulled myself up and Kevin's wife, Jenny, played Rosemary. She picked up the next line and I thought, good, okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to get out of this. <laughs> so we finished the scene. I walk to the wing and then I start hopping as soon as I get off stage. And Ray, the stage manager, she looks at me and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. But that was intermission. So at intermission, my friend Marcy, who was a godson, ran out and got like two ankle braces and ice and ibuprofen. And I'm just like shoveling down handfuls of ibuprofen and icing the, icing the oh, foot. No. And it was swelling up. Um, oh, no. But I, did, I, I thought, you know, it's sprained because it didn't look bruised or anything. It just looked, you know, so we bandaged it up and I was trying to figure out like, what can, what can I change? Uh, what do I, what can I change in act two to get through? Where do I, where am I on this ankle? So I, I figured the big, the big dance number at the end. There was that. Yeah. <laughs> I got through that. I figured out how to change that. Um, and that really wasn't so bad. Um, the big one was the groundhog dance. Was groundhog dance act two? 
No, but it's in the second performance. Oh, because you were in the matinee. <laughs> this is the first performance oh, where this happened. The matinee. <laughs> so, and I, I'll get to that. But then there, the other one was the Love from a Heart of Gold, where I go down on one knee uh, as I'm singing to Hetty, and uh, and I thought, great, I can get off of the, I can get off the foot. This will be a nice relief. And then I go down I, on one knee, and I realize that's when the foot sort of bends, and it <laughs> wasn't. It was sort of the opposite of relief. <laughs> Um, so we, so we figured out after that, change that I'm no longer kneeling, um, got through the dance number, but, uh, but then, yeah, then, and then, uh, it intermission in between shows again, ice handfuls of ibuprofen. Uh, I, I called my wife. I'm like, can you switch cars with me? Because I had driven the car with the stick shift and I knew I wasn't going to be able to use the clutch coming home. So, so she came and switched cars. Um, figured out what what dance numbers I had to change. I figured out for the the groundhog dance, I could hop on one foot and keep the other foot close to the stage and look like I'm still hopping on two feet. So that <laughs> oh, oh, you are you're such a trooper all of this work to get through the next two things and the lesser people would have just been like, "Listen, my foot is shot. I am done." <laughs> Oh well, no. It's just you—you you do what you got to do, right? So, the show but then must go on. when I when I when I did the dance, I looked. This is again community and community theater. When I during the dance, I caught out of my peripheral vision, the whole cast was gathered in both wings to cheer me on through that song. Wow! Which was just—I mean—that just—I I can't even express how much that melted my heart. I, it was mm. wonderful the support that I got from that. Um, so yeah, then I did the second show uh, and then I went to the ER just to get, to make sure it was sprained because I was certain it was sprained. And the doctor said, uh, well, we're going to have to put a cast on it because you've got a fracture. And I'm like, you can't put a cast on that. I got shows to do. <laughs> so I talked him into a boot. And I went, my, my ankle's already in a cast and it's got <laughs> shows this weekend and exactly. next weekend. <laughs> so I, 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 I wore, I wore a brace when I was on stage and, uh, and, and we kind of got through, um, we didn't have to change a whole lot. I was able to change things, um, that did not really affect the show. And, and we got through, I got through the whole run. So I wow. did, I did, I did most of the shows on a broken and it was the bone just above the ankle on the leg. So, um, I still have friends who will, to this day, will not tell me break a leg before a show, uh, or will say not actually. And I'm like, <laughs> I've already done it once. It's not funny a second time. The joke only works the once. I've got an ever-growing list since we started this podcast of things to be afraid of on stage. And it it, it was, it used to be the obvious stuff like knives, glassware. Now I have to add grapes to my list. Grapes are killers, man. Grapes will kill you. That's in in Stephen's contract now he's like no grapes (laughs) (laughs) no i think um certainly when i work with that director again there will not be when i did um same director i did beauty and the beast a few shows after that with her and there's you know the scenes and and uh somebody the person who is carrying in the grapes asked hey are we gonna am i gonna have actual grapes and she's like no grapes on stage (laughs) no grapes allowed (laughs) 
Oh, we're talking, we're talking about the grapes of wrath over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, oh man. So, <laughs> Stephen is. Uh, I'm, I have a copy of your resume here, and, and perusing over it, uh, you've worked with. Did I get the job? Is yeah, it... <laughs> we'll call you. Um, <laughs> as someone who has worked with so many different uh, companies and directors, and putting yourself out there, um, tell our guests, our listeners, a little bit about how you feel you approach auditions you know do you have any rituals or specific routine that you do to prepare like across the board or do you kind of tailor auditions per show uh yeah i i always feel like i approach auditions really terribly uh (laughs) i never feel like i'm i always want to prepare as much as possible and i never feel like i prepare enough um especially for musicals because i'm not a music theater guy by bear i never i never thought i would go into music theater um Mm -hmm. when i when i was in college i studied i studied acting i there was a music theater program i was in the theater program Mm -hmm. um music i didn't even really occur to me so I, i still get very nervous about doing the song auditions because I just don't, I, I think that's, that's not really my strength. And so I really kind of try to prepare for those as much as possible. Um, as far as uh, just another, any other aspects of the audition, I really just want to know, I want to know the play as best I can. Um, I want to know who the characters are. Um, I, I get asked a lot for auditions when I, tell my friends that I'm going to audition for a particular show or something. They was, well, which character are you auditioning for? And it strike I, I never know how to answer because I, I always tell them I, I don't really audition for roles or, mm-hmm. or, or even so much shows per se. There's a few shows that I would really want to do. Um, but mostly when I audition, I audition for people that I want to work with and companies oh. that I've worked with or that I've heard good things about. Um, again, it's that relationship, it's that community that I, I'm really looking for. Because I think when you have that, it frees the actors up to really do their best work. Oh, um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the best, the best atmosphere in a, in a play is one where everybody in the company is working really hard to make everybody else better. Mm-hmm. And... I, there's something I tell the middle school kids when I work with them. I, I and I've, you, we've all been in those productions where you have the one or two people who are trying to tear somebody down or tear, you know, to build themselves up. And I'm just like, and I tell them that's if you ever have that feeling, that is completely the wrong way to go. I, I said, if if I do everything I can to make everything around me as good as possible. If I make all my castmates as good as they can possibly be in the production values, are great and everything else in the show, then as soon as I walk out on the stage, I'm already, I'm already doing really good work and I haven't done anything yet. I said, it just makes my job so much easier for me to look good. Mm-hmm. If I do everything I can to make everybody else and make everything else look good. And so I like to look for companies and people who foster that because I think that really helps inspire the artists to create freely and that's where you get your best work yeah i I, the stage that i am at theatrically i i couldn't agree with you more i think it's it's starting to become less about the roles and more about the peoples right Mm -hmm. yeah it's support that's what we need to thrive we need 
you know, you know, we need people who believe in us, right? I, I you can't just believe in you the whole time and be like, yeah. hey, I did it, right? You know, a rising tide raises all boats. It, that's certainly true in theater. So at that point, you know, the, what role or sometimes even what play is really kind of secondary or tertiary to that. Um, that said, there are certain plays or roles that I would like to do at some point. I've got a very small bucket list, but um, but there are a few. Noises Off was a play that was definitely on my bucket list. Not, a, not any particular role, but um, mm-hmm. it was certainly a, a play that I wanted to do. I didn't really come in thinking I, there was a role I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and now having an opportunity to do Selsden, there's not another role I would there's not a role I would like more than Selsden. <laughs> um, I've had a great time building that character. If you're familiar with Noises Off, you know, it's, you know, play that you see it from like just before opening night. And then after it's been up for about a week or so, and then everything's, you know, the relationships all start to tear apart. It's basically an office, an office comedy where the office is a stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and and the relationships and just all deteriorate. You know, Selsden is a character who's a, you know an older actor. He's uh, got a bit of a drinking problem, and I had to answer for myself. I thought a fairly fundamental question, which is, why hasn't this guy been fired? <laughs> because I, I had I had to center the character. I had to find a place for him, and so I created this 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 character in this biography. That uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a great stage actor in England and it had a, a huge reputation and he was part of the show now. And the reason that they don't fire him, well, one is that he, he had a lot of backstage romances. He's kind of losing his memory. He's fairly certain he had a romance with the one actress who's financing the show. Um, mm. You know, he, he's pretty certain that they had a backstage romance. And then he's like, no, no, that sounds very crass. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that I probably had an affair with her. Uh, <laughs> so so I had that cemented in plus also the idea that you know if if you had an if you could see John Barrymore on stage even at the end of his career you would go see that because you saw Barrymore on stage even if he's not in his prime. Mm-hmm. And so I said okay so that's part of why he's on the marquee to get people to see the play and that's why they won't fire him because it'd be like firing Barrymore when you're not really asking that much of him. So I created this mm. character who's got, you know, this big Shakespearean presence when he's doing his burglar character, which doesn't fit at all, but that's that's the <laughs> style of actor. And I picked like five or six different aspects of different actors that I pulled little bits from to assemble this character. And uh, I just had a tremendous time doing it. Um, so now now it's like I, that, I couldn't imagine not... I couldn't imagine doing any other character now. And I, I've kind of gotten to a Zen with roles and shows that I, I get cast in. I always, I find that there's a reason that I'm in this show or I'm in this role. And sometimes it's apparent to me mm. when I'm doing it. And sometimes I don't know until long after I'll hear something that happened because I was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've gotten to a Zen where there's a reason I'm here. And there's a reason yeah. I'm doing this role. And so I, I tend not to like go in with a certain agenda of, I really want to get this show. I really want to get this role. If I don't, I'm going to be, you yeah. know, it's, it's whatever, you know. It's, it's interesting that you were talking about how you were building your character uh, because it's been uh, a bit of a theme this season uh, of talking about uh, honesty and acting. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's, 
similar to what we've been hearing some other people think about uh, what we've heard others, some other people say that they, uh, they think of when they think of honesty and acting um, is having that, that grounding, that backstory, that, that building of character. The, the um, inner truth. Yeah. Right? I was, yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you think about when you think of honesty and acting? Yeah, I think it, it does have to have that foundation. If it doesn't have that, then the audience can't believe it. And if the, if, and if the actor doesn't believe it and the audience doesn't believe it, then the show doesn't, doesn't work. And so you have to have, you have to establish that, that re, that was one of the, that's why I had to start with, why hasn't this guy been fired? Uh, <laughs> it seemed very fundamental. If I don't answer that, there's no reason to believe any, why he's even in this play. And so, you know, that's part of that, that honesty is, is making that real. Um, there's a technique that I borrowed from Robert Duvall that I thought was fascinating. And I, I use this in characters all the time where he, he said, um, in, in each character, there's a, an inner contradiction. There's, there's a fundamental contradiction in, in a character. And so if you can find that and then work outward, and that just fascinated me because inner contradictions, you know, contradictions are just interesting on them on their own. Mm. So, you know, that really helped me when I was putting Henry Higgins together, because um, in some ways it seems like a very simple character to approach, but he's a fascinatingly complex character. And he's mm. got a real inner contradiction where he wants to be seen above other people and, you know, um, uh, that's the word I'm looking for, um, sort of somebody to aspire to and, and, you know, that sort but, but at the same time, he's got, he's, he's riddled with self doubt and, um, he can't, he doesn't have any, um, relationships mm -hmm. that are really like solid except with his mother. And so he, he covets people. One of the things that he really admires from Eliza is that she has all of these relationships. She, you know, she has nothing, but she has all of these wonderful relationships with people, and right. he doesn't have any of that. And mm -hmm. so there's that contradiction of wanting to have that relationship and not knowing how to do it, not, not feeling comfortable within it, but not feeling comfortable without it either, um, that I just found fascinating. That was a real key to that character. Yeah, I, whenever I've seen that character played well, um, I, I was never able to really put my finger on it, but now that you say it, that's, that's really a big part of it is, is seeing both sides of that character and not having them played completely as a pompous ass right? who doesn't really want anything, but yeah, someone right. who actually wants something that they don't have. Right. And because, you know, if you think it's almost like playing an evil character, but if you ever think about anybody who really is a pompous ass, no one who, even people who are a pompous ass, never think of themselves as a pompous ass. Right. Oh, yeah. well, and, we, and Higgins we doesn't either. <laughs> right. And Higgins doesn't either. And so I had to find that where I could have that effect, but where does that come from? And that's that centering, that's that, that grounding mm. uh, that has to come from a place. And if yeah. I can create that, then the audience will believe it too. It's like rich kids in like, uh, like rich kid tropes in television shows where they have everything that they ever want, except for the fact that their parents are never around. Right. Right. And then they see the kid who's poor and, 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 but his parents love them. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I have all the money in the world. Why should you get parents that love you? And I don't. Right. And so yeah. it's, it's, it, they're, they're a villain, but it's villain with air quotes around it 
but that has to come from somewhere. No one, no one is born with a mustache and a top hat. Right. And they're like, I'm going to tie someone to the train tracks. Right. right. Like, <laughs> but and the challenge for the actors to make that, make that moment real, to make the audience believe that even if it is a trope, mm-hmm. you have to ground that in a way that the audience can get past the idea that, that there are their preconceived notions of what that is. And if you can bring that alive now, now you've got, you've got the audience invested in what you're doing and now you've grounded your character. Um, and that adds a richness to, to the production, I think. Yeah. Yeah. True. It's exactly what we were talking about this season is just truth and honesty. Um, whatever that may be for you. Um, <laughs> it, but in, in, your, in performances. Yeah. 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 We, we talk a lot about, you know, I think when you talk about honesty, you talk about you know the 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 tropes of method method acting is really the, and and to me to me that's always one of those things that like it's one of those words that everybody throws around and you can have a whole conversation about method acting without um, ever realizing that you're talking about two different things because what's method to me is not necessarily what's method to somebody else and of course you know Stanislavski's method Stanislavski never defined his method as a method. It, it, in his books, it is not a method. In fact, yeah, exactly. it's just a bunch of advice. And he said, you know, use what works and what doesn't work, don't use it. You know, it's pretty open about it. Um, you know, but, you know, are you talking about Stanis- If you're talking about method, are you talking about Stanislavski? Are you talking about Meisner? Are you talking about Uta Hagen? Are you talking- There's so many approaches mm-hmm. that it all gets wrapped in this one big envelope. Blanket, and then you get of, yeah, like- blanket of method. Right. And you get to the extremes of like Jared Leto, who's, you know, sending creepy things to his cast. And I'm just like, that's not method. That's just, <laughs> yeah. that's just, that's just being a jerk. That's Chris, not method. Christian Bale weighing down to 88 pounds for the machinist and then bulking yeah. up to 200 pounds for a Batman, right? You're like, yeah, you know, if, if, I mean, I guess if, if you can do that, you know, there are some repercussions to those sorts of choices. You know, um, but you're not teaching your middle school kids to do that. No, no, I, I, you know, one of the things that, um, going back to Dr. Who, um, one of the things that was really fundamental to me was when I was the first Dr. Who convention I ever went to, I was in college and we went with some friends and we were all underage. So we see them, we see the, all the people from the show, there's tons of people from the show there. So we were, all these people from the show are going into the bar. And so we're like, we're plotting with ourselves. We got to get into the bar, right? We got to go meet these people. They're all in the bar, but we're all underage. We're never going to get in the bar. And there's this huge bouncer in front of the bar and he's carding everybody. So we know we're not going to get past him. So we're trying to figure out some story where we can get to the bar. And then, uh, so we, we figure out that, um, you know, when you walk in, if you look like you own the place, nobody will really question you. This is what we convince ourselves. We're like, we know, so we're, 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 girding ourselves up. We're, we're just going to walk in like we own the place. And, uh, and then we look up, we're going to, we get our moment. We're going to go in, we look and the bouncer's not there. So this is our shot. We're going in. So we go right for the bar. And then right as we're going in, one of the guys in our party, I don't remember who it was, said, uh, just remember guys, just walk in like you own the place. And the guy in front of us turns around and it was the bouncer. Oh. And he looks at us and he says, go on in. I know you guys own the place. <laughs> and we got in. It was great. But when I was in there, I met uh, Mark Strickson, who was an actor on Doctor Who. He plays uh, Turlo, one of the companions. And he recommended, we were talking about theater. I told him I was a theater student. And he recommended uh, Yerzy Gertowski's Towards a Poor Theater, 
which was just mind bending to me. It's one of those, and that whole approach is basically an approach of strip away everything that's not essential in theater, strip away everything, let the actor represent as much as can possibly be represented. Mm. I like to use that, especially in middle school, because we are a poor theater. We, you know, we're working with school budgets for Pete's sake. So, you know, (laughs) we don't have a lot of money, Um, but uh, we're, we're trying to uh, get the idea that you can, whatever the artist can, can create within themselves and again, center and make real, the audience will believe, and you don't need to put on tons of weight or you don't need to change your appearance or you don't, you know, you, you can, you can, if you believe in that character and you believe in the truth of what you're saying, the audience will buy into it and you don't need, you know, you can use makeup, we use makeup and costumes and stuff, but you don't need any of that to really play the story that you're trying to tell. And so that's one of the things that I really want the kids to understand is, you know, these are all aids to help you tell the story, but there, you can, but the essential thing is still you, the artist and what you bring to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. also imagine that won't fly in an elementary the kid goes home and they're yep. like, teacher says I got to lose 10 pounds. Probably. <laughs> I, I, before our Annie got canceled though, I did tell the act, the kid who was playing daddy Warbucks that I was going to shave his head. Oh <laughs> man. I'm sure he his mom that. was all in favor of it too. So, but no, I, I was probably going to put a wig on him, a bald wig on him, but, but, but it was fun to tell him. That wouldn't be very honest of you. <laughs> it was so fun to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if he did it, I wouldn't have turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, Stephen, we've kept you much longer than we agreed to. So, Oh, no, you. I'm so sorry. I've overstayed. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. Well, you kept playing me with drinks, and so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we can talk to you all night. And, oh, and Good, good I, luck editing this going, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> We, we we made sure of that. <laughs> uh, but we oh we had such a good time talking to you though. I I, I hope you uh, yeah I hope maybe we get a chance to do this again sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to come back and and thank you for having me. I, I thank you for having the show. I love. I'm a big fan of the show. I don't think I ever mentioned that, but I, I am a big fan of the show. Stephen is our listener for. I am. That's other. who it is. I ah, keep falling into Ben. More beard. More beard. <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody say more beer? Just... More beer, yeah. More beer and more beard. <laughs> I can get uh, behind that. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so very much, Stephen, for for coming out. It was a pleasure to to get to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. And that's all the time we have for this episode of the Just For Show show. Thanks, as always, to Heidi Sparthout and to Ben Slabeck for all that they do. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at justforshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.